sermon for Children's Church, but we're not doing that this morning because we're sharing in communion, and the kids are going to stay in and share in communion with us. Uh, you saw those activity bags, I hope, as you were coming in the door, if you have kids, and if you got one of those for your kids, great. If you didn't, you want to slip out, nobody will think different of you if you want to go grab one now. But the kids are going to stay in and share in communion with us because we think that's important for us to all receive the blessing of the nourishment of Christ for us. Our scripture lesson for this morning comes from Psalm chapter 106. I'm going to read verses 40 through 48. And I'll point out I'm reading just the end of this psalm. There's much more to it. I'll say more about that in just a minute. But I invite you to hear Psalm 106, 40 through 48. And when I finish, I'll say this is the word of God for the people of God. And we all respond, thanks be to God. Hear God's word. So the Lord's anger burned against his people. He despised his own possession. God handed them over to the nations. People who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them, and they were humbled under their power. God delivered them numerous times, but they were determined to rebel, and so they were brought down by their own sin. But God saw their distress when he heard their loud cries. God remembered his covenant for their sake, and because of how much faithful love he has, God changed his mind. God allowed them to receive compassion from their captors. Lord, our God, save us. Gather us back together from among all the nations so we can give thanks to your holy name and rejoice in your praise. Bless the Lord, the God of Israel, from forever ago to forever from now, and let all the people say, Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is the last uh, in a three-part series of messages, if you've been follow, following along. We called it Church Words, and just sort of exploring some of those words uh, that we hear a lot or say a lot in church, maybe sometimes only in church. And acknowledging that sometimes those words that become so much a common part of our vernacular in the church, we may lose sight of their meaning and their depth. And so we're spending some time with them over these last few Sundays. And the first Sunday, India shared with us the significance and power of the word hallelujah. And called us, encouraged us all according to the scriptures to raise a hallelujah. Last week, we looked at the word gospel in the New Testament, mostly in the dark last Sunday, if you remember, if you were here. And the lights came on right as the choir was singing the offertory and we sang the doxology all together. I had somebody ask me after worship, was that planned? That the lights would come on right then? I was like, not by us. We were, we were trying to get them on as fast as we could. Well, they came on. And how gospel means good news. It is the good news of new life in Jesus Christ that is our gift from God. And where that has meaning in our lives beyond just when we get together in here in the light or in the dark on Sunday mornings. That, that we have this good news. And this morning we turn our attention to another 
church word, amen. Maybe it is something you say regularly or you hear it. When somebody says something you agree with, you know, we've sort of pulled that into our common language to say amen. Or you say it at the end of a prayer. patience with me here as I say this as somebody who does this professionally you don't have to say amen at the end of a prayer you just do and there's reason for it but it's not like a rule you know but it is where we hear it a lot it's the last word in the bible it's the last word in revelation is amen and it's the last word in this psalm that I just read part of a moment ago which is not uncommon for a psalm to end with the word, amen. And I only read the end of that psalm. In fact, if you're looking for something to read this week out of the Bible, something that would just be good for your spirit, I recommend Psalms 105 and 106. I just read the end of 106. They sort of go together, those two. And they tell the story of humanity and our existence and our relationship with God. Reaches the, the psalmist reaches way back and, and tells it all from the beginning. Psalm 105 is primarily about God and God's activity in the world and in the lives of people down through history and how the Hebrew people, the nation of Israel, has observed God at work in their lives down through the generations. And then Psalm 106, as you can kind of tell from where we picked up, turns and addresses humanity's unfaithfulness toward God. It's a retelling of all the ways and times and places that we came up short and that we turned away from God's desire and ideal for us and for the world and God's intention to bring beauty and goodness and truth everywhere and all the places that they had let go of that. And these two psalms sort of tell that story its an entirety. And in that way, they sort of flatten out time. It's an interesting literary device that in these two psalms, we hear all of time recorded at once. Now, Psalm 106 talks a lot about the people of God's unfaithfulness toward God and one another. And that's important. There's a place for us to acknowledge, to look back, to name where we've been, where we've come, not just us personally or individually, but us collectively as people, as the people of God. There's significance to acknowledging even that in the generational sense, like is happening here in Psalm 106. And it, it, it sort of flattens out time by telling the story all at once, but then pulling us all together in that moment and connecting us all to all of our history. In fact, earlier in Psalm 106, the writer says, we have sinned along with our ancestors. There's this sense of it, it, it all is a part of who we are. 
our history as much as our present or our future. And that the psalmist is saying there's value, there's importance in remembering it, in naming it clearly for what it was. It's our history. And those who don't learn history, they say, are doomed to repeat it. In fact, one commentary I read said that here in these Psalms, we see that Israel has learned that sin is intergenerational and social. If any penitence does not comprehend that, it fails to grasp the profundity and tragedy of the sinful predicament. It is important that we remember and acknowledge and name what has been done in the history of our people. We can't just pretend it didn't happen. Delete it. Remove it. And act like it doesn't apply to us. So the psalmist is sort of bringing all of time together with the people of Israel in that moment, past and present, and connecting them. In a way that if you really think about it, it it might make your head spin that, that somehow we have a place in history and what has happened in the past has a place with us. And then the psalmist incorporates God into that, identifying that God has a place in history, in the past, present, and future, And that in some way, God transcends all of history and time and exists in it and with us all at once. If you look in the New Testament in 2 Peter, Peter writes, In heaven, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. God isn't slow. God is patient and wants no one to perish. The psalmist is calling us into this consideration and reflection That it's all one. That we are all one. And what was done even in the past matters now. Not only just for us to learn from it, but to understand that God is at work even in the midst of it. Was then, is now, has always been, will always be. I mean, as I was preparing for this message, I got into like the whole Stephen Hawking stuff of like, you know, time-space continuums and and how a, a fourth dimension exists beyond space and time and My personal opinion, I think that we have theoretical physicists who are tapping into the wonder and amazement of God. And we just don't know how to talk about it or the depth of it. And yet here the psalmist is kind of calling us and pulling pulling us into it and connecting us with our ancestors for good or for bad, but to name it all honestly. And after naming all of Israel's transgressions, their unfaithfulness down through the generations, the psalmist said, God's mind, even though God was angry, God's mind was changed from anger to compassion for God's people. So the psalmist calls on the people of God Join in with me. God, save us, the psalmist writes. Gather us back together so that we can enjoy 
the praises of the Lord so that we can thank you together. The psalmist says, bless the Lord from forever ago to forever from now. And then he ends this psalm with that church word. Amen. It's an interesting word. Amen. One of the things that I, I find interesting about it is that is the actual Hebrew. Amen. And it was just transliterated into Greek to still say amen. And we brought it forward in English to say amen. It's like that word has always been what it has always been and always meant what it has always meant. Even in Arabic, I mean, the language of the Muslims, it means the same thing. It's this word that has transcended time and people groups and faith traditions. Amen. Actually also interesting to me that it's used in the New Testament to begin and end statements or sentences. So for any of you uh, Bible scholars, people who like to read the scriptures, maybe you would recognize places, particularly even with Jesus, where he would say something like, verily, verily, I say unto thee, or truly, truly, I tell you, as a way to sort of precede what he's about to say with some gravitas, with some significance. This matters. This is important. I know this is right and true. Well, that word that he's saying that we have translated as verily, verily, or truly, truly, is just the word, amen. He would start some of those most profound and deeply meaningful statements that he was so sure of by saying, amen. And then we see it most often at the conclusion of a statement or of a prayer, and we say, amen. And that's essentially what it means. Yes, I believe this is right. This is true. This matters. It's important. And I agree with it. And I want to see it happen. I've sort of taken to just translating it in my own mind to say, let it be so. Amen. Means let it be so. And in the face of all that Israel has seen and acknowledged about who they've been, where they've gone wrong, the psalmist calls them in that moment to cry out to God, Lord, save us. Gather us back together. Make us one. So that we could praise you and enjoy celebrating who you are and all that you've done and been for us in the world. Amen. I think we need this word in our vernacular. We say it. You said it. We prayed the Lord's Prayer. Mary Ruth led us. The last word we said all together was... Oh, but you said it like you really meant it. Because the last word we said there was, amen. Right? We're going to say it in just a little bit with the communion liturgy. We're going to say together, amen. And it means more than, oh, that was nice. Or, that sounds good. 
Or wouldn't that be neat? Really, the heart of this word means I believe in that and I want to be a part of it. I want to help make that happen. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not, oh, that sounds great, but I want that to be the case in my life, in my home, in my church, in my world. Amen and amen. This is the kind of word, even though it's only four little letters, that if we say it like we mean it, and it becomes something we mean when we say it, will change our lives. That moves us from where we are and what might sound good to where God is calling us to be, and it's a declaration of our intention to go there. Amen? Amen. This word reaches back into all that we've been and all that we've done and all that we've experienced and brings it all forward to us right where we are and reaches out to where we can go, to who we can be in the name and in the presence of Jesus Christ and brings that to us. And this word spans all of time and space and brings together not just what was and what is, but what could be. And it is our declaration and proclamation that we want to be a part of that with you, God, in the world. Amen. And coming even to the communion table is an amen of sorts. We know this to be our opportunity to participate in communion, the, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, that meal that Jesus shared with his disciples the night when he was arrested, eventually tried, crucified, buried, and then raised the gospel, the good news. This is our way of participating with that good news, of receiving it claiming it for ourselves, and then carrying it with us to nourish us as we go out to be amen people in the world. So I want to ask you if you will join me in the invitation to Holy Communion.